Welcome to Ignite Your Business Radio Show. Light the match, throw some gasoline on, and buckle up because we're about to take your business to the next level. I'm your host, Josh Wilhelm. Entrepreneurs come from anywhere. Visionary individuals whose ideas and passions could potentially change the world. However, it's one thing to have those ideas. It's something else altogether to know how to connect to the world with those ideas. Where can a young entrepreneur or inventor go? Where can they find the mentors that can potentially move them to the next level of success? A solution to these questions may come in the form of software. After all, there are over 525,000 software and IT service companies currently in the United States alone. Surely one of those aspires to make it easier for young people to receive the mentorship they need to nurture their dreams, evolve their ideas, and take on the world. If you know someone who can benefit from the mentorship-specific programs out there to their goals and interests, you will almost certainly want to introduce them to the remarkable company and services behind Way Ahead. Angel Santiago is so much more than the founder of the Mentor Mentoree software solution known as Way Ahead. He's a veteran, he's a father, a husband, an entrepreneur, and a USAF veteran who proudly served his country with distinction. Indeed, in Angel's own words, much of what he has done and achieved personally and professionally can be summed up by the simple word service. This concept of service is certainly the heart and soul of Wayhead, which aspires to connect the next generation of innovators and wisdom of older peers. Truly an amazing piece of software. Welcome to the show, Mr. Angel Santiago. Man, that was uh, an amazing introduction. Thank you so much <laughs> for having me. Well, we do our homework here. We we have to. I mean, we, we have very high standards here, so we got to make yeah. sure that we always meet that. I appreciate it. All right. So, well, we, welcome to the show. But uh, before we get right into the questions, I always like to take the opportunity here at the very beginning of our show uh, with any service men or women that come on to first start by thanking you for your service and sacrifice to our thank amazing you. country. Um, and also on that note, too, is to thank on our behalf, I want you to thank your family uh, because we recognize that it's it's not just the men and women that directly serve. It's also the family unit that goes along with them yeah. even after they've served. So thank yeah, you absolutely. for their I appreciate sacrifice it. Thank as well. you. So let's dive into this. Uh, what are what have been or what are currently some of the biggest challenges, in your opinion, facing anyone who wants to market a software company in 2021? Yeah, I, this is a really great question. And I think that it's something that a lot of founders and entrepreneurs in general struggle with. And I think the answer is really simple. It's whether or not your product is differentiated in a meaningful way. And the, the problem here is that most founders, most people who have an app or a tech idea, they feel like their product truly is differentiated. And it might be differentiated to one or two degrees, right? It might be differentiated in some way. But what you have to think about is, is your product idea differentiated enough to break a habit and to create a new one? So mm. when you look at people who are using apps in general, our, our attention is, is completely consumed right now. 
from the yep. time we wake up to the time we go to sleep, we're on our phones doing something. If you're creating a new tech solution for it doesn't it, it honestly does not matter what the problem is. You have to understand that you're competing for attention against the Facebooks, against Instagram, against TikTok, against YouTube. So you have to your solution for the problem. Number one, the problem has to be big enough and your solution has to be good enough where someone is willing to take a slice away from their time on another app that's already ingrained in what they're doing um, to actually use your product. So I think that that's the biggest problem before you can even market your, your, your product. You have to, you have to make sure that it's differentiated enough for people to care and for them to break a habit and to build a new one. Once you have that, then essentially, you know, from there, there's there's a lot of word of mouth that happens where people are true believers and they end up going out and being your spokespeople. You don't have to pay them anything. They love your solution yep. so much. They want to share it with the world and let them know how your product made their life better. But before you can even put ad dollars in, before anyone's going to talk about what you're doing, you have to make sure that it's it's solving a big enough problem in a different way where you can where you can interrupt their their daily patterns. Well, and really what I'm hearing you say, too, is you have to understand even more so your demographic more than ever. You have to understand your target audience and who they are, what they do. You have to understand really everything about them, how they walk, what they do, what time they wake up. You have to understand all of those components because otherwise you're going to be throwing spaghetti up against the wall and cleaning up a lot of mess down on the floor. Yeah. And I I just want to add too that you have to also look at it from the perspective of 2021. What did we just come out of and what are we still currently living? People are so Mm. saturated with technology right now where their entire life for the past year has been Zoom meetings and, and call after call. People are working longer hours. They don't know how to turn it off. They don't know how to shut the computer. They they're while we're so disconnected physically, People are more connected now more than ever because what are you yep. going to do? You know, it's sure. it's not just, you know, hey, I'm, I'm scrolling through TikTok when when I'm sitting on the toilet, right? Like now it's <laughs> I'm doing it all the time because like yeah. what else am I going to do? Yep. Uh, and, and that's something that you also have to consider where you truly want to make technology that's going to make people's life better. And, you know, if if you're not, then you know, you have to, you have to adjust your approach and you have to consider what you're doing and whether or not it's going to work out for you. Absolutely. So you yourself are utilizing a variety of resources and platforms to market, not only way ahead your app, but also yourself as well. What have been some of the most effective methods, you know, whether it be social media, marketing and other ways outside of social media, blogging, what has been effective for you? Yeah, I would say that uh, influencer marketing is is always nice to have, but influencer marketing doesn't always mean what you think it means in mm. the sense that uh, most people think that influencer marketing is, you know, someone on Instagram putting out a post saying, hey, check this out. A lot of times influencer marketing, depending on the type of, of app or, or tech that you have, could also be someone in a high level position at a fortune 500 company, if those are the types of partnerships that you're trying to build. So if you could get in with say the VP of operations at a, you know, Microsoft, right. That person then becomes a champion for you and they use their influence to then, you know, in my case, get people to sign up for your app. 
and, sure. and become mentors as a way to give back. Uh, so yep. that's, that's really, and, and if you think about it, influencer marketing, it comes down to leveraging relationships and, yep. and that's, you know, networking is still, I think one of the best ways to get your app out in front of people, because even if it's you going one-to-one asking people, selling your idea, that's, that's one new person, right. That you're going to be able to get on yep. board. That's one new person. And if you do that long enough, all right, now you have a hundred, now you have a thousand. And, and I think that a lot of times we discount the power of grassroots effort going back to scheduling that call. If you would have, if you would have had coffee with somebody, you should do it anyway, right? Sure. Reach out to someone and say, hey, you want to jump on a call for 15 minutes? I'd love to pick your brain about X, Y, and Z and just have a conversation with them. I think that building those touch points and networking uh, or is still a very powerful tool. You know, of course, the Facebook ads and the Instagram ads and all of these other, you know, LinkedIn ads, all of these other solutions are great. But I think that that a lot of people could benefit from getting back to the basics and and building relationships like they did before social media marketing was yeah. a thing. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that because I think a lot of times the influencer terminology is is thought about from just the consumer market. So you're thinking about celebrities, you're thinking about athletes, that kind of thing where yep. Hey, they come out saying they really like using this deodorant stick. Oh, I want to use that deodorant stick too now. You yep. know, where it's it's certainly common uh, phrases commonly used when it comes to consumer products. But it's an excellent point that you bring up, which is it's not just the consumer world. It's the B2B world as well, the business to business, because you your celebrities in that world are the CEOs, the owners of the businesses, yep. the founders, co-founders things of that nature that are, yes, it's a smaller population because not everyone's a small business owner or business owner or CEO, but they are still major influencers. I mean, you talk in the business world, who are our celebrities? It's the Steve Jobs. It's, you know, it's all the the titans of industry that have made it. Step, you know, take a step below that, right? So yeah, of course you look at the CEOs and you might know them by name, but who are their direct reports? Mm. Uh, who, you know, those CEOs are having skip level meetings with the, the direct reports of their direct reports, yep. right? So you don't necessarily need to get to the CEO. If, nope. if someone, if a VP get, if you get in good with a VP of say marketing and that VP reports, you know, is, is, has the CEO as a skip level and they mm-hmm. have quarterly meetings with that CEO and they think that your product is amazing. They're going to bring it up during that next quarterly meeting oh, yeah. as an opportunity for the company to form a partnership with with a product that could be beneficial not just for the company and the internal associates but also to the broader community. So, like that's the way that you have to think about it. It's like you don't always have to get the Elon Musk. Is who's Elon right. Musk talking to, you know, on a weekly basis, and then who's he talking to on a quarterly basis? Sometimes yep. getting in at a lower level still gives you an in at a longer runway. Uh, it's so true. So true. Excellent point. All right. So you have a YouTube channel called Cajones. Uh, <laughs> uh, what is this all about? I kind of thought maybe it was about like a, a breakfast YouTube channel yeah, that was yeah. cooking up eggs and but yeah, uh, eggs I, and sausage are in the logo. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I, I kind of figured out quite quickly it was not breakfast. Uh, you yeah. know, just the love for breakfast. So uh, right. what is this show all about? Yeah, I, I appreciate you asking this question. So I started this show, Cojones, because I am interested 
in encouraging conversations in society that I feel like either A, we're not having, or B, we're taking for granted. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of, there are a lot of things that we hear in mainstream media. There's a lot of things that are going on in the Twitterverse all the time, all the time. People are constantly outraged about one thing or other, one thing or another. It feels like there's always a new crusade. And, and unfortunately or fortunately, I don't agree with a lot of it. And that, that has to do with my personal life philosophy in general. I don't, despite the fact that I am a Latino in the United States of America, I don't see myself as a victim. And I think that this, this country is the greatest country on the face of the planet. And I would gladly serve it again. And, and I have, you know, I, I have nothing but love for the flag and, and what it represents. And I started the show because I wanted to inject perspective that I think right now is getting drowned out. I, mm. I am a firm believer of personal accountability. I'm a firm believer that in your life, you will get the output that matches your input. So, and that's, that's been evident in my own life. And that's been evident in the lives of my parents. I got to see my parents come to the United States without being able to speak English. And they hustled. They worked hard. They're the hardest working people I know. And it was that effort that allowed me to leapfrog where they came from. And now I'm in a better position. And mm. I feel like a lot of the conversations that we're having in society around social equity in particular, they, they diminish the effort that my parents put in. They diminish the effort right. of, of the people who have broken their backs to make something of themselves just because, again, social equity is nothing more than a fancy way of saying equality of outcome. And Right. I, I can't guarantee equity in my own house with my three kids, let alone at a societal level. There is no way for you to optimize that. But for some reason, we feel as a, as a, as a culture entitled. And that's something that I want to push back against. Because even way ahead, that banks on the altruism of our mentors. And, and I mean altruism because you're giving up your time out of the goodness of your heart to help somebody who's a few steps behind you in life. You know, they, they might right. be a decade younger than you, or they might only be sure. four years younger than you. It doesn't really matter. But that's, it, it's from the goodness of, of your heart. It's not from a, you know, let's, let's twist your arm to make this happen. And even still, way ahead, while it facilitates the, these relationships, the onus is still on the mentee to sign mm. up. And it's still on the mentee to reach out. And it's still on the mentee to take the advice and use it and leverage it. Yep. So if we just assume that social equity, it needs to happen, and I'm using social equity as, as kind of the idea of why I started the, the, the channel, if we just assume that this is an idea that we should be optimizing for, how exactly do we do that? And it's questions like this. It's questions like this that I wanted to explore on a YouTube channel in a way that I feel some people in society um, either can't do or are too afraid to. And that's kind of why I named it Cojones, because you have to have the balls to have some hard conversations if you want to see progress in society and in the world around you. It's the only way we're going to get anywhere. Very true. I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, do you feel like the YouTube channel itself has helped market your company and even yourself? Or 
do you feel that there's a distinct distance that you either try to or it automatically creates on its own between the two brands? You know, that's a really great question. And it's not something I, I've mentioned way ahead several times on my YouTube videos because it, uh, it's relevant, right? In that mm. I bring way ahead up not to show that I'm not heartless. I love helping people. I want to help as many people as I possibly can as a person, as an individual. My line and the distinction is when we're passing, trying to pass legislature that somehow optimizes for social equity when we can't, I can't even do it in my own home, right? So it's, it's kind of pushing back against some of those things. So I, you know, I don't necessarily market, I, I guess way ahead and the YouTube channel have stayed somewhat separate with me as the, as the connection, as that natural connecting point. But I am who I am. And sure. as the founder of way ahead, there's absolutely no way for me to separate my, my, philosophy from the company. And even though I want mentors to take time out of their day to help mentees, I still firmly believe that it's it's the mentee's personal responsibility to pursue a better life for themselves. So thematically, I think that the YouTube channel, in some regards with some of the videos, is tied into the things that I would personally promote as a mentor on my own platform. Well, it sounds like too the it's it's easy for people, especially now that podcasts have just taken off more than ever during COVID, and everyone and their mother seem to have a podcast now. It's easy to complain about things. It's easy to, you know, for lack of a better term, bitch and moan about you know what what you're talking about, and it, oh, woe is me, or this is a terrible situation. But it stops there. They don't continue on with. Yeah. forging ahead to say, okay, well, just talking about it. Yeah, that that's, that's okay. But what are you doing to make the actual difference? Like what yeah. actions are you taking? Talking is just talk. You need to put action behind it. So it sounds like your app is actually fundamentally connected to it in the sense that, okay, you're talking about it, but now here's the app, which is the step forward in the action. Taken. Yeah. And that's the approach that I've, I personally have always, uh, wanted to take. It's, it's this idea that if, if you're waiting for some, no one's coming to save you, right? Mm. We, we, it, it's, it's funny, you know, you walk through the house and you see a dirty dish and you're like, man, someone should, should <laughs> clean that. You, you drive through your community and you see some, some litter on the side of the road and you're like, man, someone should come and clean that. My approach has always, be, has always been to be that someone. It's, it's mm. not to wait for permission or, or to ask and say, is it okay if I... You know, I saw an opportunity based on my own experience as as a teenager at one point in the United States, looking at all of the options that were in front of me. What do I want to do with my life and feeling completely overwhelmed with with the options? And yep. it was that idea that I was like, man, there isn't anything that's connecting these kids who need information more than anyone else to the people who have it to the people who have been there and done that. So it's, it's identifying those problems. And I think that a lot of times, a lot of the people who complain about their lives, especially in the United States of America, where honestly, you don't realize how good you have it. It's a yeah. lack of perspective because again, you don't realize how good you have it. If you leave yep. the country, and don't don't leave the country and go to another first world country where where you know things are things are all good and and they have a similar setup and, and don't go to another western country right actually go and explore and see 
what true poverty is like. See what true oppression is like. Take a trip to yep. the Middle East if you can. Like your, your eyes would be open to a different culture, a different lifestyle that, that values things in a different way than we do. And when you see that, when you experience that, then you come back with a newfound appreciation for the things that you have, for what it means to be an American. And I think that a lot of times people just, they lose sight of that. They lose sight well, of even, that. And I didn't want to. Even just a micro example of that is you didn't even have to go around the world to experience other cultures. COVID hit and it turned everyone's world upside down. And yeah. so you, what you were used to and accustomed to all of a sudden is yeah. gone. Like That's right. in, in some states, your freedoms were taken away you know, you, you got locked down. You were forced to have to stay indoors. You couldn't go out. So those things that you were so accustomed to doing and say, that would never happen. Then COVID hit. And it's like, wow, I really miss going to yeah. the restaurants and sitting All the things we take and, for granted. That's right. Yeah, exactly. So it, it helps put things in perspective and really kind of that shaking moment and, and makes you wake up. Uh, are oftentimes very helpful for a lot of people and realizing that, oh, wow, it's not not what I thought it was now yep. that I get a chance to look around. So do you find marketing yourself is helping to establish the authority of something as unique as your software for mentors and mentorees? Yeah, I think that in some ways it is because it's, it's, uh, it makes, it makes the company and it makes me a little more relatable and approachable. I think that too often what you have when people are trying to build companies is they put off this this persona, they create a persona that isn't, isn't truly them. It's, it's not even mm. close to who they are. They, they feel they're, they're living their life through the LinkedIn lens where everything you do, you, you think that you're constantly in a job interview and you have to present yourself in a certain way. And I think that people are, are naturally revolting against that. People, they, they're, they're saturated. They don't want that anymore. And I think that what, nope. what's happened is so many people since I started the channel have reached out to me and, and we've, we've started great conversations where, Hey, I'm a business owner and, and I, you know, I feel the same way. I did a, a video specifically talking about how COVID relief should not be targeted to certain people based on demographics. It should solely yep. be targeted based on need and need alone mm -hmm. since COVID has affected everyone in the United True. States and in the world. So a lot of people have reached out to me. They've sent me DMs. They've reached out to me on, on YouTube and, and, you know, essentially thanked me. And that's, that's formed a connection. That's formed a relationship that I otherwise wouldn't have had if I mm -hmm. didn't step up and say these things and say, hey, look, as, as, as a brown dude, I'm part of the group that would benefit from this type of targeting. I'm part of the group that stands to benefit from the president saying, hey, we're going to target Latinos, but I don't want it because it's not a good idea. And, and I, I think that that resonates with a lot of folks. So what have you found for on the app side of things when it comes to marketing to be the most challenging, the most difficult lessons learned kind of thing where you kind of went into <laughs> it going, OK, I have this perception of how it should go. I have to start somewhere. Yeah. I can't be caught up in my mind of like, well, that might not work because you do that. You'll never get started. But. What did you find as your biggest challenge when it came to marketing the Way Ahead app that you maybe didn't foresee when you were planning on attacking it with the marketing? Yeah, uh, getting your value proposition to be crystal clear 
for every customer segment that you have. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that, your value proposition is how you communicate the value that you are bringing to a particular customer segment. Nobody cares about your company as much as you do. And to extend that a step further, that means that nobody cares. Uh, and, and that's, you have to make them simplify care. it. <laughs> yeah. You have to make them care. You could think that you have the, the best thing since, since, you know, sliced bread, but nobody actually cares. They're, they're all stuck in their, in their bubble. They're using the apps that they like. They have, even if the pain point is big enough, they found a way around it, right? They might yep. be using two or three different tools, but they found a way around it. So the hardest sure. thing that I found is, is creating the appropriate messaging for each customer segment in a way that is truly going to resonate, that speaks their language so that they care, so that they begin to understand the value that we can bring them as opposed to me just assuming, well, this is a great idea and here's this value proposition. And of course, you know, if they, if you build it, they, they will come. That's not the case. <laughs> like you, you no. have to, you have to tweak your value proposition and really spend a lot of time, a lot of time understanding the value that you're bringing to which group because customer segments are going to be different and because customer segments are different, they require different value propositions. You can have an overarching value proposition of what your company does and delivers at a macro level, but you should also consider your value proposition at a micro level and what it's doing for a particular segment so that you could then say, hey, 16 to 18 year olds who are still in high school, here's how you can use my app. Hey, 18 to you know, 20 year olds who are freshmen and, you know, freshmen to, to sophomore or juniors in college, you know, here's how you could use the app. Hey, people getting ready to graduate college, here's how you could use the app. Right. And then there's the flip side. There's a customer, it's a two-sided platform. So how about your mentors? Hey, mentors from the ages of 24 to 30 in this particular industry, this is how you benefit from being a mentor on the app. If you don't think through these things and you try to take this blanket approach, you're not going to resonate with anyone. So getting your value proposition right is, has been, it was the biggest challenge and, and really trying to, to tailor it to each customer segment in a way that just made sense to them and made it crystal clear what we were doing for them. Well, and to add on, you, you're so spot on with this is that, you know, you focused and said, okay, look, you got to designate a different message to resonate with each, each group. Uh, but also too, is a lot of businesses will tend to take a generalistic approach. They'll say, okay, here's my message. And it really is dialed in specifically for this group, but I also need to use it for everybody else and still expecting it to be as effective. And it's not because it just, it doesn't speak to them. So they go, oh yeah, I could see how someone maybe that, that demographic that would fit perfectly, but it doesn't fit for me. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that that is one of the biggest problems that business, small business owners especially have. I think also, too, that I want to point out is and what you're saying is that don't just go after every single type of client out there. Your yep. service, your product, whatever it is you provide doesn't apply for everybody. So don't and treat it, it as such. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, don't don't take. I think people get that's on the greed level as going, well, everyone's my client. Everyone's my customer. It's like, no, they're not because I can prove to you in a matter of seconds, someone that is not a good fit for this or a good, good fit for the product or service, whatever it might be. So 
excellent, excellent uh, opinion. Well, not even opinions, the truth to that, uh, that a lot of small business owners need to focus on and really pay attention to. So I want to jump over and talk to you a little bit about client management for a second. Uh, I want to ask you this question in two parts. So first question is, what process or workflow would you recommend? So put yourself in your own app, the Way, uh, way Ahead app, and you're mentoring a mentoree that is asking the question of like, how do you balance client management, client time management, where you have so many clients, so little time, but you want to try and give that hands-on feel with each of your clients, making them feel special individually. But again, there's only so much time in a day, plus you got to run operations, all those kind of different pieces that are always moving. Uh, so what would you recommend, uh, you know, in terms of advice uh, in this era, how to provide a balance of quality of service and time when it comes to client management? Yeah, I, I think that that's a, a really great question and also uh, a little complex to answer, right? Because it's like any good MBA, uh, the answer is always <laughs> it depends, right? Um, if if someone were to ask me this question and they had money as a resource, I would tell them to start outsourcing some of the things that they could afford to outsource while you know handling the white glove treatment for the tasks that only they could do. Okay. Now, if like most small business owners or most people more most people who are starting up money tends to be a little restricted they don't they don't have a whole lot to throw at their problems so this is where it becomes a little complicated right how do you provide that white glove service when you can't hire people uh to to do some of the things you don't want to do so that you could just focus on your clients and i think that the thing that most people could do here is try to automate what they can automate and there are plenty of tools out there that help organize workflow, that help organize their, their process from start to finish, depending on the service that they're providing. So if, if someone were providing a consulting service, I would recommend that they leverage some free tools, maybe like Google Form. Is there an opportunity for you to capture information and data from your client in a seamless process using a tool that they already know how to use. Because if you know how to use Gmail, you can figure out Google form. Sure. So can you capture most of the information on this Google form questionnaire, send it out to your client, receive that. And now that you have that it's exported in, in a spreadsheet or, or you can put it in some other type of format. I think by thinking through what it is that you're trying to accomplish and working backwards, that kind of lets you figure out what's the most what are the critical tasks that I need to personally handle? And then what are the tasks that I can afford to take a, a less hands-on approach with? And then automate those tasks that really wouldn't matter if you're involved or not. Mm. Um, that's something I got caught up doing myself where it was I was trying to do everything all the time. <laughs> and trying to do everything all the time leads to burnout very quickly because there are only 24 hours a day and according to some people, you have to sleep. So <laughs> that it's it's this balancing act that you have to play. I think that you need to prioritize the tasks that only you can do. Get those done with that white glove approach. And everything else, everything else, you have to be okay with not handling it in that one-on-one -on -one way. Mm. Um, and if you can afford to, to outsource some things, maybe hire a great virtual assistant that can help you with some of the tasks that 
you know, you, you really don't want to do because every business owner has those things <laughs> that have to get done, but that you hate doing. Well, I think we've talked about this too before on our show with a few other guests and it's come up this topic of, you know, you really need to narrow down. You ask yourself this question in everything that you do uh, through the lens of, is it something I can do? Yes. Okay, that's fine. Next question is, is it something you should be doing? Meaning through the context of, is it really the best use of your time? Is it yeah. something that you really like only you can do? Or mm -hmm. is this something that it's like, well, I never really thought about it that way. No, it's I, I'm good at this other thing. And I really should be focusing on that other thing. But I'm caught up doing this. Well, that's as you're saying is you got to determine, OK, if you have the revenue to be able to support yourself by having help come in or even virtually come in then go ahead and do that and figure out the process so it's streamlined and they know how to take care of, you know, push point A to point B and take care of those things so you don't have to worry about that. But if you can't, look at kind of the next best thing, which is in, with automation. Look at tools that you can do to kind of help move things forward faster so that what would have taken you maybe, I don't know, a half hour to do, maybe now only takes you five minutes. Well, you just yeah. freed up. 25 minutes that now you can focus on that white glove approach. Yeah. And I think that there should be a third question here and it's, does it matter to the client? Mm. Right. Of course it's going to matter to you, right? right? You want everything to be perfect from day one. And, and that's just unrealistic. You have to ask yourself, does it actually matter to the client? Are they going to, are they going to notice? Do they even care? You might think that like, oh yeah, it's going to be perfect when I, you know, I tie this bow this way and it's going to be perfect. They're <laughs> just going to love it. When right. in reality, if you actually go back and ask people, like survey the people who, who you've had as clients or, or as you're getting started doing the concierge approach, right? Like where you're really just, you know, focusing on every little thing, you should ask people, right? What are the things that you actually care about? What are the things that are moving the needle in this relationship mm -hmm. and everything else that's fat and you need to, you need to trim it right away um, because there are plenty of things that business owners get caught up doing because they think is it, it adds to the experience of the brand and it elevates the experience for the client. But in reality, nobody actually cares. That is an excellent question to add to that mix because you're right. I think uh, a lot of us business owners think that we're unique in wanting things to be perfect. Quite the opposite. A lot of us business owners want everything to go perfectly as planned and, and organized and but you're right. You have to ask your question to yourself is it's easy to get caught up in the sense of thinking, oh, well, of course, my client cares about this. No, no, mm -hmm. no. Really stop for a second and consider. And if you're still kind of on the fence about it, go to your client and say, hey, I'm just curious. We're trying to kind of perfect things. And I really I want to make sure that we put the best use of time out there for you and you're getting the most value out of this. Does this little part that we do for you, does that make an impact for you? <laughs> does it matter and, to you? Yeah, yeah does it matter? <laughs> does, does it have any, you know, I, I'm thinking it's doing this, but is it really doing that? And they're like, no. I, I mean, didn't even notice. <laughs> I didn't even notice. Now that you mention yeah. it, yeah, that yeah. makes sense, but I didn't really see it before. It's like, well, there you go. There's your answer. So sometimes going back to your client, which we've talked about before as well, the value of being able to kind of do that little mini survey with your client and say, hey, we're trying to perfect things. 
And put yourself in the client's shoes, especially if you're in the business world dealing with other businesses. So your product, your app, or your service helps other businesses. No one understands the concept of getting real-time feedback from clients than they do. They are in the same boat you are. They're they're always wanting to get real-time feedback because they're struggling with similar type of, maybe yeah. not exactly the same thing, but they're happy to give that feedback. Yeah. They want things to be even better for themselves too. So if they can help you with making things better for them, yeah. sign me up. So I think a lot of business owners are afraid to yeah. ask for feedback because they're afraid of what they're going to get back, right? You're like, you're, you're scared that, yeah. that somebody might say this thing you really care about is, isn't important. Um, or, or you're scared that somebody might give you constructive criticism on how to make your brand better, but your, your self-worth, your, the perception of who you are as a founder is so wrapped up in, in your company yep. that you're, you become fragile in some ways where you really want to protect your business ego and, and that, that prevents you from asking these questions. But I think that if you, if you want your business to be taken seriously, that it's important for you to put that business ego aside, ask the hard questions and get some feedback. So you know that you're focusing on the tasks that are actually bringing value to your customer. I, I, I think also to go along those lines and you're absolutely correct is also too, that a lot of business owners are embarrassed and it goes along the ego line, but it's also more importantly, it's kind of like, well, I'm trying to give this perception that I know all things in my industry. And if I go and kind of show, well, I don't quite know everything. And so I'm still, I'm, I'm trying to figure this part out. You feel like embarrassed because you're diminishing that image that you work so hard for. When in yeah. fact, if you really think about it, if you keep down the path you are, you're going to fall short, which is still going to have even probably more impact on you in a negative way than if you had just been honest and and go to them and say, look, I, we are experts in this, but our field is constantly changing, as you know. So we're constantly having to learn things as well. But we wonder if this is really even having that impact. All right. So second part to this is, OK, so you've established what the uh, kind of process and workflow answer is. Now shift gears over to something near and dear to your heart, which is software. What are your top three favorite client management softwares on the market right now? Oh man, uh, so I'll say that this is. Uh, I, I think it depends on on the the day. It depends on the week. It depends on the month. Um, one of my favorite tools, just in general, that I like to use with. Um, with clients just in, in general is, is the entire G suite. And mm. I think that it's something that's taken for granted just because we use it all the time and we don't even notice how good it is. But Google has some awesome products that people don't even notice are there like jam yep. boards and stuff like that, where you can really collaborate with people uh, in, you know, in real time. And that's, that's another benefit that if I were to create a, a simple word document, right. A, a Google doc, the ability for us to collaborate in real time on, yep. on ideas, on, on whatever it may be, it's so undervalued. We feel like we have to spend money on all of these fancy <laughs> tools to do whatever have you. But, but in so many ways, Google has, has kind of cornered the market and said, hey, look, you know, we're already making a ton of money off of your data anyway. Like yep. here, here are these tools that you can use for free. <laughs> so I think that that's something that, that people could definitely 
um, you know, they, they can use. I would have said something like Slack as well for, for communication, but Google also, they took a note, you know, from Microsoft Teams. They took a note from, Sl- from Slack and have made chat a much better tool to use, mm. uh, especially 2020. So as far as communicating in, in real time, um, if, if I were to send documents over to a client, I like using PandaDoc. I think that it's something that's uh, yep. really easy to use. It integrates with Google. Um, it's, it's something that, that makes you know, uh, management of, of needing to get signatures a little easier than having to have Acrobat Pro or something right. like that that requires you download your file locally and, and, and sign or whatever. Um, and, and also, I think that it really just it, it depends on what I'm trying to accomplish. So there, there are some times where I, if I'm working with, with a client and I want them to have visibility into, and, and I've, I do some consulting on the side just because people, they ask me for my time, they ask me for, for advice and I'm like, yep, I could do this. And, you know, we decide on, on what, uh, you know, what my compensation needs to be. But one thing I like to do is give them visibility into my, into my workflow. So I'll use something like, uh, like Jira, if Jira is a little is a little complicated for them, I'll, I can use something like Trello, mm-hmm. and and it really you know you share the board with them, and it yep. allows them to kind of see what the workflow is, so that they can visual you know you essentially you turn your client into a project manager that that gets to see okay this is these are the tasks that are waiting to be done, these are the tasks that are currently being done, and then these are the tasks that have already been accomplished, and I think that that again just I'm a fan of anything that increases collaboration between you and the client because they're 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 clamoring for that just as much as you are. Absolutely. Oh, those those are excellent uh, suggestions for apps. I I agree with you. It's kind of on a seems like a daily basis, almost weekly, where it's like new tool pops up. Yeah, and you're you like, try oh, something. Man, this is cool. This is. Awesome. You got to get back to the basics sometimes because <laughs> yeah, you, you know you you got that lizard brain where any shiny new object, you're <laughs> like, let me go check this out. Let me, and next thing you know, you have you know 27 productivity tools that you have yeah. open, and they're making you less productive because you like you have to shuffle between them to figure out which one is for what purpose and what task in particular. So yep. I would I would encourage people if they're looking for tools, um, first ask yourself whether or not you need it in the first place before you download and sign up for, oh it's only seven dollars a month, but when you add seven dollars across ten different tools, um, you know that's that's a pretty penny every month for yeah. a business that's getting started. I think you uh, hit on something that just resonated with me as well, which is keep taking a look at some of the tools that you've already been using that you might not realize they've come out with new features or. Yeah new pieces that you're you've been looking out there for new tools that can solve this problem well google's a as you pointed out massive uh company out there and they're learning from their customer that's how they keep coming up with relevant search data and and everything that they handle it's you're kind of like wow they're really good at what they do yeah exactly the perfect case study here is google meet i uh i hated google meet early 2020 Yep. Uh, COVID, the pandemic took off. Everybody was on Zoom and Zoom. The one thing that Zoom had that everybody hated about Google Meet was the grid view. Why yep. can't I see everybody side by side? Google right. fixed that. Now for me, there really is no need for me to use Zoom because everybody has Google and mm-hmm. it's it's already free. It's included and yep. it integrates with all of their other tools. So this is, I mean, a perfect example for all the for all the entrepreneurs out there of, of what it looks like to take criticism and feedback from your market and then apply it to your product to make it better so that you can then take market share from your competitors. So true. So, so true. All right. Many apps are designed to build by or really 
they are designed and built by programmers and developers themselves, but you yourself are not a programmer yep. by nature. Uh, you are like many business owners out there that say, hey, I've got an idea. I think I want to put it in together as an app. You then work with the company to build that app and, and develop it. But for someone that's thinking about getting into the app building environment and, and they have this idea, they want to get it built, what would be your top recommendation for them on kind of where to start with this? Yeah, uh, so I'm I am not a developer. I am I am self-taught. I you know, I, I try to look at where I could be the most effective. So I started way ahead. It was my baby. Then I had a friend who is a developer. We started talking. He want, he's an Android developer and and actually he does both Android and iOS now and we started collaborating and working together. I taught myself Kotlin. I also taught myself Flutter, which is, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a Google framework that makes it very easy for you to develop um, native apps in both Android and iOS. But what I realized is what we were missing was the design component, right? Mm. So instead of trying to make myself a better developer, which, I, you know, I didn't have the time of day to do it. There were other things that I that I had to do as a business owner. And I'm not going to be as good as my friend. What I decided to focus on instead was learning how to be a good designer. Mm. And that's something that I did. And I think I would encourage most people who are interested in founding a, a, a startup or a tech startup in particular is find that task that nobody on your team can accomplish right now. Now, if you're by yourself, that's going to be all of it, right? But yep. find the task that you could learn as quickly as possible do it well enough to be able to move that needle. Not everybody is, is going to be able to, to learn Kotlin in a day. Of course, there, there right. are, are plenty of Udemy courses out there that you can get for $12 and you can go, you might be able to go through it in a weekend, but that doesn't make you a proficient developer, right? Mm-hmm. But you might say, I've always had an eye for design, or you might be able to create, maybe you're, you're extremely organized and what you can do better than anybody else is create a workflow you can create an actual flow for the app so that when you do find a developer, that person has everything they need from start to finish. What is every button? What does every, every screen need to look like? Because you took the time to really paint this picture. I think that that's what I would encourage people who are interested in doing this is figure out what your business needs and then find a way to, to learn something quickly that will help you move that needle. Um, and, and don't focus on, well, I want to start a tech startup. That means I have to be a developer. That's not the case. That's no. not the case. If you can sell enough people on your vision, you might be able to partner with somebody, bring somebody on as a co-founder, which is a great way for non-technical people to get a tech startup up and running. Well, we've had a couple of app uh, companies already on the show earlier this month. And what I've noticed is that you've got those that uh, our developers and they attack a, a problem to create a solution for it, obviously with the app that they have an idea of building. But the challenge that they always have is that they are not experiencing the, that problem themselves. And so mm-hmm. because of it, they're solving a solution from the outside looking in where you really, the successful apps are the ones that are on the inside seeing a problem firsthand, they're experiencing it possibly, or they're they're right alongside someone else that's experienced it. Maybe it's a client side. 
and they're going, I see my clients are going through this problem all the time. And I, I think we need to solve this. Then you work with a developer to build it yeah. always has a higher chance of success than those that are like, well, you know what? We see this problem, but we don't really know too many people in it, but we're, man, we're going to make a killing at this and yeah. we're just going to jump into it and, and develop it. So that's, that's a great point. And, and I think, you know, to add to that, it's the, um, uh, building a business is hard. Building a, a tech platform that people care about is hard. Building mm -hmm. a tech platform that people use is even harder. Yep. And if it's a problem that you're not really that excited about, if you're just trying to do it because, hey, you know, I like I heard that this was, you know, this was the thing. Yep. It's going to it's going to come across. It's going to yeah. come across because you don't actually know your your customer base. You don't actually know yep. who you're trying to reach with your product. So that's a great point. I think that you should start with problems that you personally have in your life that you need a solution for, because those are the problems that you're going to be the most fired up about. I think that comes down to passion. Passion is not something that can be learned. Passion is something that you already have. Yeah. So you either have it or you don't have it, but you, you can't go, well, I want to create a passion for it. Well, if you're not going through that pain, pain is part of passion. So if you yeah. can't go through that pain yourself, then you're never going to have that missing component that everyone can kind of just get that, you get that weird feeling like, yeah, I just, I can't put my finger on it, but I don't know why. I just, I don't want to go with it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I want to point out too, you talked about earlier is the benefit of outsourcing and knowing where your time is of value. I think you hit on a the flip side of that. Uh, the flip side of that coin is really, also knowing when it's time that you need to fill in in a role that no one else can. Like if you don't have the ability or you haven't found someone to take on a certain piece of the project that you're working on, well, then you need to quickly learn it as best you can in order to solve it until you can find someone that's better, yeah. more equipped, an expert in that area. And sometimes it it's, comes down to finances. You, yes, could you find someone out there? Are there people out there that can do it better? Absolutely. But you just don't have the funds right now. Well, then you got to figure it out. Third yeah. point I wanted to hit on, and I think that's it's so often overlooked when it comes to app and software development is the UI, the UI and the UX. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's referencing for all of those that don't know this terminology, that's referencing the design how you handle, how you go about clicking on things and where the buttons are and, and how they look and is it easy to interact with? Is it something that's difficult? And I think a lot of people assume that it's just, well, that's easy. I, I just need someone that can program it and develop <laughs> it. I need someone that can build the thing to work. It's like, no, 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 you don't understand. Yeah. You can have the best working system <laughs> But it is more complex than anyone could have imagined to get to yeah. solving the problem that you're trying to solve. And it so often is overlooked and just kind of pushed aside to go, well, anyone can design. And then they even try and bring the developer in to be the designer. It's like, that is yeah, a recipe uh, for disaster. And do the not developers do that. hate it. And they <laughs> hate it. Like they, yes. if they wanted to be designers, they would have been designers. Uh, they're, they're developers for a reason. Now there are some developers that also love design and and that's fine but you also you have to understand that development and design are different they're different disciplines and asking someone to do both is asking someone to do 
twice the job. So if you're if you're <laughs> if you're a founder and all you're yep. bringing to the table is an idea and you're expecting someone to design and develop that idea, you better be ready to give up a significant portion of your equity because yep. that person deserves it. If you, I oftentimes tell people this is say, okay, you might not know a graphic designer and you might not know a developer, especially both of those simultaneously. If you know an engineer, go and ask that engineer to say, hey, would you be up for doing the interior design of my office and see how they yeah. react to you? And even the yeah. ones that say, sure, and take them up on that offer, say, hey, come in. Just kind of pitch me the idea you're kind of thinking about. And if you go, I don't know how you came up with that yeah, solution. The furthest idea. thing from feng shui. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that right there is the epitome of what the difference is between a, a graphic designer that can truly do UI, UX, design and layout versus a developer. Their minds work in totally opposite directions. But yeah. if you can get one of each or like you're saying for you, you filled that role because you're like, look, it makes no sense for us both to be trying to be in the driver's seat from the development standpoint. You need someone because you're missing out on the design side. I'll fill that role. I'll learn as much as I can. Take a look at other apps, see what I like, what I don't like. And then I'll give guidance to the developer who's like, thank you, Jesus. I appreciate you coming in and, and helping me out because I hate working with design. Yeah. So that takes that pressure off of me. <laughs> Yeah. And All founders right. have to be the Swiss army knife, right? Like they, they yep. have to be able, but at the same time, you know, knowing a little bit of tech helps you build a good design and vice versa. If, if, if you know how to program and you have a little bit of design knowledge that goes a long way because sure. you're not, you're not going to put a button in a random place that nobody's going to click on. Absolutely. All right. Many coaches teach guide or consult from a position of personal experiences and going through them all on their own. Was this the case for you when it came to way ahead or was it just kind of like, you know what, I'm seeing that problem out there and I can relate to it, but I didn't personally go through it. So I, it's funny because I experienced the problem that way ahead is solving on both sides. Hmm. So I experienced the problem that way ahead is solving as a, as a mentee, as a student, when I was in high school and I had all of these possibilities out there. And my teachers were constantly pushing the, the college fallacy, right? Go to college because that's the only route to success. And I remember feeling that pressure and, and not really knowing, okay, if I go to college, what do I want to study? I wanted to go study political science to eventually become a lawyer. I didn't study political science and I'm not a lawyer. And I'm glad I didn't go that route because I would be broke right now. So... <laughs> I know firsthand what it's, what it's like and talk to anybody in high school right now. They're feeling that pressure. Here we are in $1.6 trillion of student debt. People are begging the government to forgive it. How did we get here? We mm -hmm. got here because of this lie that is being pushed in high school from people who have never lived life outside of, of, of the school system, right? Sure. Teachers are telling mm -hmm. students to go to college without really understanding what the job market outside of being a teacher is like. They don't they don't have a clue. So it's it's the blind leading the blind. And then as as a mentor and that's not to disparage teachers at all, sure. not at all. But it's you need to recognize your limitations. Right. You need to recognize that most teachers, they go from high school to college back to high school. Yep, exactly. What do you know? What do you know about the real <laughs> world outside of high school yeah. or outside of K through 12? 
Now, the flip side to that is I got bored with with just the cycle of I'm going to I'm going to go to work and then I'm going to go come home and I'm going to work on, you know, whatever little side project I may have going on. I got bored of that and I wanted to find a way to give back to my community. And this is something that you find a lot of people have is this desire to give back to their community. They just don't know how. And a lot of times the things that that are available require way too much time for them. For example, if I want to be a mentor, what's out there? It's like, okay, uh, let me go be a big brother. That requires I give up time on my weekend from my family. That's a big ask. That is is a huge ask when you consider how busy people are in general. Yep. So what I was trying to do is simplify that interaction. How can I make giving back as easy as possible? Anybody, anybody can pick up their phone, open an app and send a message. And a lot of times that message is enough to change a life. Mm. Anybody can pick up the phone and schedule a 15 minute phone call from, you know, for a week from today. You might yep. not have time this week, but we can schedule something for next week. And that phone call could change a life. Sure. That's much easier than saying, hey, give up three hours, you know, on this Saturday to, to go mentor somebody. I just and even physically having to go somewhere after a long day of work, all you want to do is, is go home, put your feet up, grab a beer and relax yep. with your family. Right. It's, it's a big ask to tell people. So how do you for me, it was how do I simplify that? How do I make it easier for me to give back? Because at the time I was actually physically going to community colleges and talking to to, to their students about life in corporate America. And that's how mm. all of this started. But I realized that that took a lot of my time, a lot of my time. It was a, a 45 minute drive for an hour conversation and another 45 minute drive. That was too much. So it's trying to figure out how do I simplify this? So I really got an opportunity to experience the pain points on both sides of the equations as a mentor and as a mentee. Hmm. Well, Angel, thank you so very much for joining us on a Night Your Business Radio Show. Uh, Before we wrap things up, though, I do have just a few more questions for you. Sure. Uh, I'm curious, is kind of, uh, you talked about being on both sides of the coin here with the mentor and mentor E. Let's put yourself back in the role of the mentor E for a second. What is the most valuable thing you yourself have learned from a mentor? Uh, the biggest thing that I've learned from a mentor is that no one is coming to save you. Not a single person uh, gives a damn about your problems in, in mm-hmm. real life. Everybody has their own problems and your problems are only significant to you. Yep. And understanding and internalizing that no one's coming to the rescue, right? You have to find a way. Yep. Uh, that, that was the biggest, that was the biggest uh, <laughs> slap in the face, but also, you know, wake up call that, that, that I got from a mentor and it was one that I needed and it served me well. Hmm. That's excellent advice. All right. Well, your YouTube channel covers topics you are certainly passionate about. Uh, I feel that you need to share your opinion on, talk about, bring to light. And we, we talked a little bit about before actually starting the show today, we kind of joked around saying, hey, we're going to jump right into uh, race as our topic and just rip the Band-Aid off and let's yeah. just get right to it. Uh, I don't want to get into politics per se, but you and I have had some previous conversations about race before, and you even kind of shared a little bit about it uh, today. But specifically what really got to me and and resonated with me was you shared with me some situations that you yourself have gone through and faced as a Latino man 
where you got confused by others for even being another race altogether yeah. and kind of what was tied to that. I didn't, in leading up to this question, I didn't want to give too much away, but I wanted you, I wanted to kind of jog your memory yeah, on the yeah. conversation that we had. So that way you could share with our listeners that experience, because I think it's one of those important ones that, um, even now, it, it, we're, as we're recording this and talking about and having this conversation real time, I immediately, your your episode was easy to come up with the uh, title of it. And I wanted to title it as Don't Judge a Book by Its Cover. Um, yeah. And I thought that was really appropriate for you and the story you share with me. So if you wouldn't mind sharing that kind of and how that has influenced you. Yeah, uh, so... Look, it's no secret that ignorant people exist and, and they will always exist. And that's something yes. that we really need to come to terms with is no matter what we do in society, there will always be ignorant, hateful people. Mm -hmm. So in my life, I have experienced racism from a bunch of different places. I remember in high school, I had a teacher. Uh, we had an exchange student that didn't speak English. He and I were speaking Spanish to each other. I was the only friend he had. And this teacher came out and he said, you know, you guys stop speaking Mexican in my class. That's an example of racism that I experienced. Jeez. But as an adult, I've also experienced racism from people who thought I was I was Muslim. I, <laughs> I look I look Arab. I have I have a beard. And depending on on, you know, the if I'm in the right light, I, I can catch racism from from <laughs> a different type of ignorant person. And for me, I, I, I'll, I'll flat out say this, that America is not a racist country. Um, America is, is the greatest country to, to live in. And, and, and this is the best time to be alive. And I think that experiencing those negative interactions, it puts all of the great interactions that I have on a daily basis into perspective. It's easy to remember those negative interactions and say, wow, this person was racist. But what about the millions of other interactions I've had in my life with other people who were, who were good people, mm. who didn't care about what I look like? And I think that this is something that that it shaped, you know, it, it shapes how I raise my kids. It shapes how I lead myself and how I lead those around me. I, I truly want people to to try to maintain this perspective and and to try to see that it's so easy to remember the negative because in a sea of positive, it's that drop of blood. It's that one little thing yep. that we can see and differentiate and immediately say, oh, boom, bad experience. But if we cling to that. And if we allow that to, to pervert our perspective, our worldview, we start living really unhappy lives. Yeah. And I think, of course, I've experienced racism. I, since I started doing the YouTube channel, I experienced racism in my YouTube comments. What am I going to do? Yep. What am I going to do? Am I going to try to silence this individual? Am I going to try to tell them like, oh, man, that was mean. Uh, get off of my YouTube channel. Am I going to put this on Twitter and try to get people to cancel this individual? Why? Why? Yep. What does it do? I think for us, it's really important to, to understand that the people that truly care about you and value you, they would never say anything like that. And those are the only people that matter. So some random clown who says some ignorant stuff to you, for me, has just been, if anything, it's just made my skin a little thicker. And, and it's made me appreciate all of the good people that I interact with day in and day out a little bit more. I appreciate you sharing that. That That is, uh, you know, the first time that you shared uh, specifically, and I'm glad you mentioned it, was about the part about being confused for Muslim as well. 
I immediately what the very first time you shared that with me, I immediately kind of put myself in your shoes and I'd be like, what the heck, man? I, I'm, <laughs> yeah. If you're going to be racist, like, yeah, at, at least, least get it right. Like, at least get it right so that yeah. I can connect with it, but I can't connect with someone that you're miss. You're, yeah, like you're you confusing me that? with yeah. somebody else. It's like, what the heck? At least get it right the first time and not yeah. and don't have me confused. But and all joking aside, I mean, it. You're right. Is that uh, I think we've gotten to this culture of everyone feels the need to share their uh, not only thoughts in general, but it's also too is like when they get their feelings hurt, it's I'm going to do damage to you in some other way. I'm going to, I'm going to get at you. I, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to take your business down because I don't agree with you or agree with your opinions or thoughts. But it's like, that's, that's the part I have a problem with is the hypocrisy of this all. I mean, yeah. you've, you've got those like yourself that have served for our country to, and what everyone always forgets about until it benefits them is the freedom of voice the freedom of thought, the freedom of having your own opinion and the freedom to say what you want to say, regardless if other people agree with it or not. Yeah. That's that's a freedom that you have. And then when it doesn't fit your messaging, that's when it's like, well, I don't want that freedom anymore because that person's yeah. saying things I don't agree with. Yeah, but Freedom's it's like a tough thing. It's a tough thing to, to live with and to deal with. And it's something that, uh, you know, I gladly I, I would never. I would never uh, try to silence anybody, and and I believe in in the free market and in every area of our lives where um, bad people eventually over time will get outed as bad people, and yeah. society will stop wanting to do business with them just because they are bad people. And I think that's a natural progression. I, bad ideas eventually die away as as consensus rallies around and says, "Yeah, this is a bad idea." And we've seen that time and time again. In our, in our society, when you try to force the issue, that's where you start creating problems. And, yep. and, and, and while it might be noble and while you, there's, there's a good cause and a good push behind it, um, it's dangerous. It's a slippery slope that I would caution people just take a step back and try to see where this could lead. Cause you're, you're not always going to be, you know, in the cool crowd, you might find yourself on the outs one day with the people who are holding the pitchforks and, and, so and torches. Yep. Well, and I think people forget, too, that there's always been a cancel culture, but it was named yeah. something else. It was called boycotting. Yeah, it was calling, hey, I'm not going to buy that product or service because I don't believe in where the organization is or what they support. And that that was cancel culture. The difference now is you've got those that have influence pushing their agenda out to everybody else and say, if you guys aren't with me, you're racist. And you need to boycott this company and yeah, Yeah. and it can backfire on you. And it's, it is a very dangerous game. So, all right. Uh, This might sound like a rhetorical question, but it is definitely not. Uh, Who do you feel gains more from the mentor mentor E relationship, the mentor or the mentor E? Uh, You know, it, it depends on the relationship, but I would say in my experience, it's, it's the mentor. If you're a good mentor, um, you, you gain more from it than, than your mentee does. And I think that the reason being is you learn, I, I've learned to adapt my communication style to mm. different people. I've learned to, to be a better listener. The, the mentee is in a position where they're really just absorbing. 
they're really just absorbing. Yep. As far as they're concerned, um, you're pushing and and they're pulling and and they're just taking it all in and using the information. But for you, as as the mentor, it's it's a great opportunity for you to start honing some of those skills that you might have forgotten all about, right? Like you you might find a a, a mentee who's a very outgoing um, sure. individual or one who's who's an introvert, and 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 you kind of have to. Uh, nurture that relationship in a different way. And these are all these these interactions, the way you communicate with your mentee, all of these things make you a better person, whether yeah. or not you see it up front. So I really do think that the mentor is the one that benefits the most from that relationship. I would 100% agree with you, not because you're here on the show with us, but <laughs> Uh, that's why I stated it at, at the very beginning of this is not a rhetorical question. I'm truly curious of what your feedback and your opinion is on this. I I'm with you on this, that the mentor is the one that truly gets the most out of it. I mean, yes, you're giving of advice. You're, you're answering maybe a question or a problem that someone's trying to figure out and they're, you want people to be able to not have to go and suffer through the things that maybe you've gone through. And so you really, if your heart's in the right place, being a mentor, and it, it could be a mentor for, you know, kind of like the big brother type thing on the personal life side or a big brother in the business world side, either way, you're going to get so much more out of it. it yeah. It's And not in the form of value like the mentor E is receiving, you get it with in your heart, in your soul, yeah. like you, you yeah, you're feel like those you, seeds. yeah, well, and you feel like you've done your part of good in the world for the day and you feel like you've really given back of yourself. And yeah. if you, I would express this to anyone listening, if you have not yourself experienced the feeling of giving, I can't recommend it enough. I mean, it is like, it is powerful. It's addicting too. I will say that it is. It is addicting because you do want to give of yourself. Once you once you actually experience that, it's like yeah. you don't want to stop. You, you just want to keep going and going and going. But you yeah. have to be careful. <laughs> you might make an app of your own and then next exactly. thing you know, it's like you're not sleeping and you're trying to, <laughs> you're super exactly. busy. And... While Angel and I continue our conversation, visit IgniteRadioShow.com. Look for this very episode. There you can hear our entire conversation, how to get in touch with him, learn more about his Way Ahead app including additional resources available for his business coaching services and other information we have been discussing today. I hope the information that Angel Santiago shared today helped light the fuse inside of you and ends up taking your business to the next level. I'd like to thank our guests today, our production team, our engineering team, and most of all, all of you listening. Until next week, I'm your host, Josh Wilhelm. Have a great and successful rest of the week, everybody. 